the concept of the string rotation planner, whether you're measuring grass and budgeting it, which we would be recommending, but the, sim- the simplest way is probably to start with the spring rotation planner so that the target would be to have a third of the farm grazed by the 1st of March. So simply just divide up your farm into to a third for the 1st of March, two thirds by the 17th of March by Paddy's Day. And then the aim is to graze out the, the balance then to the end of the first week of April or, you know, it's going to be later, 10 or 14 days later on heavier farms. Hello, I'm Emma Louise Coffey and you're welcome to the Dairy Edge, the Chagas Dairy Podcast. We're bringing you the latest information, insights and opinion to improve dairy farm performance. With many farms in the thick of calving, Dairy Advisor Kay O'Connell joins us to address priority tasks from supporting cow and calf health to setting up the farm for the grazing season of 2024. Well, Emily, the it's similar to the, the national level. There's a low level of covers done. I know um, Mike Egan would have discussed that, what pasture base have so far. But of those that have measured in the last couple of weeks, the average farm cover is around 925. So it is higher than what the national figure is being the southeast. I suppose that we tend to have had a good back end um, and but like anything, there's a range within that, you know, down as 600 up to well over the thousands. Um, so I suppose um, there is plenty of grass. We had the cold snap there for a couple of days, but it doesn't seem to have caused much damage in terms of or, or senescence in terms of quality of grass. Um, but there is there is nice cover of grass and it's it's primed and ready for getting cows out. And and then in relation to growth over winter, um, of the farmers, you know, you're talking about a range of 600 to an excess of a thousand kilos of grass. But I suppose, you know, closed well, there was lots of grass on farm in the autumn. But what sort of growth did we see kind of in the month of December and into January? Yeah, they're averaging around five. Some guys got higher than that. Um, one man in particular reckoned he had uh, 10 kilos of growth, which was very high. The, you'll see the difference in the farms that... that or close that a little bit earlier. And also in the fields, even within farm, you would see a difference within fields, um, south facing, you know, recently receded good soil fertility. They're all the ones that will have the higher and obviously the numbers of days close that they would have the, the higher covers on them. Um, and and the I higher suppose growth rates. moving out now, like we're at the, the start of February, grass, con- grass and grazing conditions, you know, quite good underfoot. Um, you know, it's potentially going to be a great start to the grazing year for a lot of farms. But if if we look at at that idea, low level level of covers as of yet. But I mean, for tracking um, the amount of grass in the farm and you know tracking the spring rotation, can you give us advice in terms of how we manage that to make sure that we feed the cow, yet we don't run out of grass? Um. Well, that that would be, I suppose, the spring rotation planner. Um, and the objectives look for everybody is to increase the amount of grass in the diet. It's our, it's you know, early grass is really digestible. That's high crude protein on it, and you want to cap to capture capitalize on that that good quality grass that is out there. Um, so the spring rotation planner is the tool to do that. What it'll do is get you out early condition this word for later on the year and obviously get grass in the diet as quickly as possible, which is very important for the, the milking cow. Um, and obviously the, the days of grass, that's going to depend on your soil type, the weather, stocker rate, whether you're measuring grass or not. Um, 
the infrastructure and I suppose the farmer mindset as well. Um, the the concept of the string rotation planner, whether you're measuring grass and budgeting it, um, which we would be recommending, but the, sim- the simplest way is probably to start with the spring rotation planner so that the target would be to have a third of the farm grazed by the 1st of March. So simply just divide up your farm into to a third for the 1st of March, two thirds by the 17th of March by Paddy's Day. And then the aim is to graze out the, the balance then to the end of the first week of April or, you know, it's going to be later, 10 or 14 days later on heavier farms. Um, Growth rates are picking up, Kay, you know, relative to, um, you know, that five, 10 kilos, um, you know, five on average that people would have seen across the last two months. Um, but it, it is picking up, but not necessarily relative to what we see mid-season. But in terms of um, monitoring your spring rotation planner and making sure you're not, I suppose, running out of grass, how often should I measure in the month of February and the month of March? Yeah. Um as you said, I suppose it's it's the recommendations. What we would say is do one cover, you know, in January. If you haven't done one, you can still do it before the end of, you know, early February um, and maybe do one later on in February. So two in February and then two and three in March. And then from then on, you'd want to be doing it weekly as as growth rates, as you said, as, as you get the big kick in growth rates, you'd want to be doing it more frequently. But if you can, I know it's a busy time on farms and they're busy with cows calving in the month of February, but try and get two covers done. You'd be surprised. Having an opening cover will give you the, that, con, that number of what the growth rate was on your farm over the winter, which is very important to have an idea of, to see establish what grass is on the farm. And then, you know, do another one later on in February. And if you can, then do two and three in the month of March. And if we look to fertiliser then, Kay, and maybe a comment from you, is there much slurry gone out on farms um, across the southeast? Not, there's slurry gone out. And the people who spread the slurry are the people who were under pressure for slurry storage. So it was a case of, of having to rather than wanting to. Um, and this is great, Emma Louise, because I see a mindset change in clients that they realise it's not just oh, I need to get rid of slurry. It's they see the value in it. They see the nutrient nutritive value, and and they've only gone with enough to empty the tanks. Um, that they haven't spread fertilizer or slurry. You know, the same as it was before. Oh, any paddock that was bare. You know, um, but I suppose the the. From an environmental view, that's very important. From the nutrient point of view, you know, um, we would talk about there's around 29 euros in value for a thousand gallons of slurry. So if you've gone with that two thousand, two and a half thousand gallons of slurry, you've gone with, you know, 20 kilos of nitrogen per hectare or 16 units an acre. And that's that's ideal for this time of the year. And, and, and let's step that out. So for somebody who has just gone out with a bit of slurry to take the pressure off the tanks or somebody who has not gone to date. We're in the first week of February now. So mm-hmm. l- let's talk the, the when, where, how much. Okay. If you've slurry gone out, as I said, that's around, you know, at 2,000 gallons, around 16 units, maybe some people have to 2,500. So that's sufficient nitrogen for that part of the farm that you won't need to spread any chemical fertilizer on that until March. You know, so the recommendations, just keep, to keep it simple, I suppose you're ideally looking at 20 kilos in February and 40 kilos in March. 
um, the idea would be that you'd have 60 kilos of nitrogen gone out in your farm by the 1st of April. Um, and that's made up of nitrogen, both in the slurry and the chemical fertilizer. So for the portion of the farm, that could be 30% of your farm um, area. That won't need, if you've gone with the slurry, you won't need, you'll need to go with your 40 units in March. Um, and that roughly there, thereabouts will bring you up to the 60 kilos for the 1st of April. Um, for the, the part of the land that hasn't got slurry, so there's tanks are filling up again. Ideally, I suppose, um, and Louise, you mentioned, you know, that, that possibly ground after grazing, if we can get out early. Um, that they would follow with the slurry. So that would be another, you know, two and a half thousand gallons an acre, 25 kilos of nitrogen, um, and then follow up on that ground in, in March with your your 50 kilos. Um, and then anywhere that hasn't got, got any slurry, ideally should get 29 kilos, 23 units in the month of February and then go along with another 50 kilos or 40 units in the month of March. And if we then turn our attention to kind of cow metrics or milk metrics um, for the month of February and into March, a lot of farmers are now considering once a day milking for the first few weeks of lactation. What are the reasons why you would or wouldn't go with once a day milking hay? And the main reason to go with it is labour. That's really seen the interest in this um, in recent years. I see with clients, which, you know, there's, there's always a fear. Oh, if I go once a day, am I going to lose production? It's going to cost me money. Um, and but in recent years, as labour has become scarce, it's a it's a case of, of farmers saying, look, I need to do this. I just can't manage it all on my own or with the labour that I have. So there definitely is a, um, an increase in my clients on the amount of the are doing once a day in the first couple of weeks of lactation. Um, the like There was, you know, this Park labour study there a couple of years that showed that milking time was the most consuming task and the farm was taking up 31% of their time. So if you can gain back, you know, a proportion of that time during the busiest months, it should be considered. Um, and Eamor Kennedy and her colleagues in Park published research a couple of years ago where they compared once a day versus twice a day in early lactation. Now, they would have compared four, six and eight weeks. They're what we would be recommending is the four weeks. So once it doesn't significantly reduce the total lactation, produce the, the fat and protein, it wasn't significant. Initially, you will get that 20% reduction in milk yield for that first four weeks. Um, but cows will bounce back when they're returned, when they're put back on twice a day. And there was no difference in total lactation. From week five, cell count was similar. So I suppose, Emma-Louise, you mentioned um, why wouldn't you do it? That would be part of it. If you have problems with cell counts, it wouldn't be advisable. Um because you might end up, cell count will increase while they're put on once a day. Um, so it's from that point of view, it's probably not advisable. But the big benefit, and, and some farmers would say, look, in the month of February anyway, it's only for that four weeks. So it's only the cows that have in the first four weeks. It's not all the herd. It's the, 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 these, the reduction isn't significant when you look across the whole herd um, and milking time was up to 30% less when cows were milked once a day. So there's definitely um, food for thought in that one. That's an interesting point, Kate, because if we think about the, we are getting more compact in our calving and a lot of farmers are hitting that 80 to 90% six-week cal uh, calving rate. Mm. But by the same token, if we do once a day for the first four weeks, you know, maybe 
you know, you're talking 50, 60% of the herd fall into that category and, you know, not all of those calve in week one. So it, it, it makes an awful lot of sense. When, when you talk about the a high cell count cow or a high, higher cell count herd are, are more at risk, again, it is quite logical because with once a day, you're only clearing the milk out of the other once a day. So there is potential for a buildup or a, a growing cell count within individual cows and, and within the herd. Um, I mean, to the labour point, um, potentially you're spending slightly longer at your milking if you're doing it once a day, but you are cutting out. And, you know, it's, it's generally that evening a milking event and mm. you know in in the springtime it is longer you know there are certain cows that are um you know being held and milked into a bucket in a lot of cases so you know the huge time saving it's to recap on your your comment about yield um so there is going to be a penalty for a cow in that month of february but what you're talking about is no difference across the entire lactation Exactly, exactly. So from that study, there was, you know, between 22 and 24% reduction in milk yield um, and 20 to 23% reduction in milk solids yield. But that once they were turned back on after the four weeks to twice a day, there was no significant difference in total milk yield, um, milk solids yields in the total lactation, you know. Um, regardless of milking once or twice a day, in um, say the month of February, how do we set ourselves up best, Kay, to ensure that we have a low cell count in early lactation? Um, yeah, that, that's a good question. And the, the periods of greatest risk for infection are going to be, as farmers well know, at dry off. And that's why we put so much emphasis around, um, you know, treatment and selective dry cow and looking after the herd. So it's at dry off and that two to three weeks post dry off. And now the two to three weeks before calving and that first month of pregnancy. So um, those are the key risk periods for infection, you know. Um, now, interestingly, Emma-Louise, I had a look at my clients and in 2022, 20% had an annual cell count over 200,000. In 2023, this is after increasing to 30%. So nearly a third of the clients have had an increase. So that's not just, you know, the the clients that I have. When you look at the national figures, cell count had gone through a period for, you know, many years where there was consistent reduction. And unfortunately, it started to move up again with the national cell count in 22 being at 183,000 cells. And there's only two-thirds of suppliers that have that less than 200,000. So it is an area, you know, I think we just don't want to become complacent because the trends, you know, it wasn't as much of a problem as it used to be. Um, so, you know, this is now that period, two to three weeks pre-calving and the first month to calving are the period where you would, you know, you're heading into a risk of infection. So you would want to take precautions around that. Why uh, would you say the cell count is rising? That's a good question. I'm not sure. I don't know. Is there any research as to why? Um, Possibly in terms of labour as herds have got bigger, and this is my own speculation, as herds have got bigger and we discussed the issue with labour, that maybe there's less time, less attention in milking parlours to be able to, you know, our milking times back to that that whole time spent in the parlour and attention to detail. 
you know, that around that. And I suppose, you know, we have had farmers try out selective dry cow and potentially, you know, knock on effects of where it wasn't managed properly. And I, I guess moving forward and being proactive, um, you know, the, the selective dry cow is is all part of that dry off and the two, three weeks post dry off, as you identify as one of the key risk periods. Um, you know, there is a recommendation that we do the early milk recording to catch cows who have, um, I suppose, um, a spike in cell count higher than it was pre-dry off. Like, do you see merit in that? And again, when would you target that um, first milk recording? As early as possible. You know, I know my colleagues um, and Doug Crowley, who you've spoken plenty of times, would say mid to late February, you know, and do at least six milk recordings in the year. I suppose, you know, for for the minimum is try and have it booked that you have one done by Paddy's Day depending on your calving pattern, obviously, and how how early you start. But you don't have to, don't wait until all the cows in the herd are calved. You know, book it in, have it done by St. Patrick's Day. At the and I guess, you know, the, the reality is the cell check reports provide so much information and it is to just have a look at it and act. And, you know, so often people aren't surprised by the key offenders in the herd. And if we trace it back, some of those were an offender in 23, in 22, and even as far back as 21. So, you know, if they're constantly causing problems and potentially spreading to other cows in the herd, you know, we, we need to think about whether they have a role in the herd going forward. And and coming back to your question on, on why it has increased, I think possibly as herds have stabilised as well, you know, that with all the expansion, but now as herds have stabilised, Guys need to start looking at, okay, who am I carrying and how have I been carrying the passengers? Have I been carrying those few offenders that are contributing to a problem? And I do this a good bit with clients where, as you decide, you said, you know, you can look at the, the milk, the most recent milk recording, and it's really easy to do on ICBF if you go into the mastitis SEC report and just select out anybody who's got over 200,000 or whatever criteria you put in. And you can see from all the previous lactation, whether and particularly now with that first milk recording, how they have calved down. Yes, they could be high now, but is this a new infection or was that cow carrying high cell count throughout the previous lactation? Had she brought it into the... And it will tell you how effective your dry cow treatment has been. Um, and as you you alluded to, whether that cow has a role in your herd, you know? So definitely your advisor can help with that. If if, um, But it's fairly straightforward when once you have your recording done to log into ICBF and have a look. It's a great yeah. point, Kay. And, you know, once cows were in calf during the expansion phase on a lot of farms, she was kept. And mm-hmm. as you say, there's now an opportunity to seek out cows that maybe, you know, they don't have a future in the herd. I suppose then to turn our attention finally, Kay, to the most vulnerable um, of our animals on farm, and they would be our calves, you know, lowest immune system, um, you know, young and, you know, at risk of, of picking up um, little problems along the way. Um, but I suppose, you know, they're a, a big uh, time consumer on farm at the moment, but in reality, they are the future of the herd. And in two years time, these are the 
the calves that will be calving down. So maybe your top two or three tips that you would share with clients in terms of promoting healthy calves and and good growth rates um, to ensure that they're calving down in February of 2026. Um, well, as the, the recent calf care events that, that were held around the country, I think one of the, the, the headings was a good start is half the battle. And that's 100% true, particularly, as you said, with that, that, you know, the calf that has born with absolutely no immunity, there's no passive immunity from the mother, they're dropped in a calving pen. And unfortunately, calving pens aren't always the most hygienic places. So I suppose it's it's having that pre-calving, you know, keep the calf, the cow, the calving area, ensure it's fit for purpose, it's clean, that a well-drained area and you know, make sure that the the calves are moved as soon as possible after birth to a clean, dry, safe environment and minimise contact with other adult cows to, to you know, um, where they can pick up disease. And obviously then the, the colostrum, the one, two, three rule, feed all the cows with the first milk that cow produces that colostrum within two hours of birth and feed three litres. Um, the reason being colostrum quality decreases at the time from calving to milking. Um, so the quality will decrease within and the calf's ability to get the immunity is is gone within the first 24 hours. So this is where the two hour thing comes from, that it's at that stage the calf has the most ability to absorb um, the immunity from the colostrum. Um, and then from there, you're into looking after the calves. You know, they need good quality whole milk. They should get transition milk, you know, the second to the sixth milking after calving for the two days, you know, the first four feeds after that colostrum. And then they go on to either whole milk or replacer at 15% of the body weight. So, you know, they could be at five litres for the first week, increasing to six litres from, you know, when they're a, a week old. And that's your your calf that's 35, 40 kilos. Um, um, that calves legally need to be fed milk twice a day until they're four weeks old, you know. So make sure if you have automatic feeders, um, and they're a great tool, but make sure they're properly calibrated and there's an appropriate feeding program set up for that. Um, and then the other one is hygiene, Emma Louise. Absolutely. And I know that you've done research in Moor Park where they looked at it and, you know, looking at washing and disinfecting and washing calf trucks. But don't forget the likes of the single teeth feeder and the stomach tubes. You know, I think they were the ones when they studied it that had had the the least amount of hygiene, you know, I suppose that they could be forgotten. Um, so just uh, it's funny you say that because they're the very first thing calves come in contact with a hundred point of, yeah. of no immunity. Yeah. And, and another actual interesting point on when you talk about the calf tube, um, you know, the stomach tube that a lot of people are are feeding the first um, first milk with um, an interesting comment um, from John Mee, who deals a lot with um calves and calf mortality would say that we should be replacing that every year and um, you know that the one we used last year is is potentially a little bit harsh in terms of the the texture of it going down the throat of the calf and, and just an interesting add-on point to what you're talking about um, and, I, I, and another one on that is is to keep you know have se a, a separate set of tools or equipment for when animals are sick you know when sick calves, if you do have an instance of sick calves and needing, you know, different 
try and have a separate set of stuff, then you're not transferring it. One house of pen accounts is sick that you you isolate and you ensure that you have strict hygiene and promote a biosecurity that you're not spreading the infection from one house to another. You know, and 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 all of these things are relatively inexpensive in the context of exactly. passing on sickness and treatment and your time and and the the vet call out and the the relevant medicines that need to fix the problems. Um, it's a really insightful conversation, and it's great to get some tips and advice. You know, you talk about dealing with a lot of clients, and you know, having cows at home yourself. So it's it's um. You know, you've the your feet on the ground, and you're also talking to a lot of farmers. I think there's a, a quite a checklist here in terms of best practice across management of feed in terms of spring grass. You know, the the labour and the the health of the cow, and and also looking at the calf. Thank you, Kate. Thanks, Emily. That's it for this week's episode of the Dairy Edge podcast, and my thanks to Kay O'Connell for joining me on this week's show. Don't forget to rate, review and listen on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information, go to the Chagas website at chagas.ie. I'm Emma-Louise Coffey and join us next time for your Dairy Edge.